Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Podcast. We hope that today's message will inspire you to grow in your journey of faith. We believe that hope is for everyone. So, no matter where you find yourself on your journey of faith, we believe Jesus is willing to meet you right where you're at. So again, thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Awesome. Well, welcome. Welcome to Legacy Church. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Tony. Uh, My wife, the uh, lady that was just up here, the lovely lady, I should say, that was just up here, and I are the lead pastors here, and we want to welcome you, especially if you are a first-time guest. What we like to say around here is you're not just a visitor, but you are a guest, and so we hope you feel that way. And uh, why don't we thank the worship team today? They did a great job. Thank you, Jesse. You know, uh, the young man that was playing bass uh, found out, he found out he was playing bass last night. So, um, and I'm telling you what, when was it? He he started playing bass like four or five months ago or something like that. And man, I'll tell you what, uh, it's a beautiful thing to be a part of an intergenerational church where the young and the old and everybody else in between are in each other's lives. And so today I'm really excited because we we get to kind of preach the final of our five values that we've been preaching over the last few weeks. And if you've been tracking with us, you know that we're in a beautiful season as a church. And part of that beautiful season is establishing not just who we are, but why we do what we do. And so over the last four weeks, we've explored these uh, four values. And and today we're landing on our final value. And I'm really excited because then next week we're launching kind of a mini series where it's, you're not just going to hear from me, but you're also going to get to hear from Paula. Uh, you're going to get to hear from Lane uh, because I'm going on a vacation, and so it's going to be great. Uh, you'll get a nice little break from me, and then we'll be back for Easter, but I'm excited about that. But today, I just want to kind of refresh your mind about several of the things that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And and if you're new around here, or maybe you're checking us out, you, you've stumbled upon us, if you will, at a perfect season because God is not just calling you to be a spectator or a consumer a part of, or a part of an, a church that entertains you, but the call that, that we all are following after is this, is that we exist to follow Jesus, to love and serve people, and to carry the message of hope for all. There, there should be a slide for this, and so I'm going to say it again so it's got a little bit more impact for you. We exist to follow Jesus. I need that slide up, guys, please. There it is. We exist to follow Jesus, to, fo- to love and serve people, and to carry the message of hope for all. And, and if this is what we're going to do, the values that drive us to do this should be something that, that are immovable, if you will. There are things that, yeah, may have a different expression throughout seasons of our church, but they've got to be what anchor our soul. They've got to become our why. And so today we're going to culminate those, those five values with probably one of my most favorite value, and that is this. All of our values really line up to this. It's this. It's that we value everyone. We place value on every human being. And so let me start off with this. Uh, We've got a saying that we'd like to say around here because of the value that every person has. And that's this, that every number has a name and every name has a story and every story matters to God, which is why they matter to us. So if you're a part of this church, if you're a part of this family, I want you to know you're not just a number. You're not just another seat uh, filling the 9 a.m. service and the next service at the 11 a.m. They're not just another number in a seat, but your number means that there's a story that God is writing in your life. And every one of those stories matters so much to God. It means you matter to God. And so because you matter to God, you matter to us. And so today we want to look at the book of Luke chapter 10. And I'm going to be reading out of the uh, 25th verse all the way through the 37th verse. Get ready. Lots of Bible for you today. I'm going to try my best to get through these seven pages of notes, okay? Usually it's four, and you guys already know I struggle with time. So here we go. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying this, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, "What What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Say with me, yourself. There's going to be a key verse in there. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, says to Jesus, well then, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, not just with a clear answer, but with a parable, because this is the way Jesus did it. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan. By the way, if you've read this story, been around church at some point, this story is known as the Good Samaritan. Let me tell you, in the context of where Jesus is speaking to this culture, there was nothing good about Samaritans to the Jews. To the Jewish people which Jesus is speaking to, they detested Samaritans. So much so that they would pray that God wouldn't hear the Samaritans' prayers. So a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sent him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And so he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, and here's our key verse, you go and do likewise. Turn to your neighbor right now and just say, you go. And now turn to your other neighbor and say, no, 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 you go. Father... I thank you so much. Now look at yourself and say, no, you go. (laughs) All right, Father, I thank you so much for your word today. I thank you for the beautiful things you're doing in and through us, God. Father, what a beautiful season to be alive. What a beautiful season to be a part of your church, God. Lord, no matter what's going on in the world, Father, we've got a hope that anchors our soul, and that hope is Jesus Christ. And so, Father, today I pray that Jesus would be revealed to every man, woman, child, young, old, in between, God, in this room today. Father, that you would Reveal your son to us and help us, Lord. Help us to be the kind of people that love, serve, and value all people. In Jesus' name, amen. A little something about me. I love shopping. Um, I really, really do. I really enjoy shopping. Some of you dudes are looking at me kind of weird. I get it, all right? Some of you dudes are feeling a little bit of comfort because you're like, I'm not alone. And then most of you ladies are like, oh my gosh, I'm jealous of Sophia. It's okay, I get it, guys. I get it, I get it. Um, And one of the things that I like to do is every once in a while, uh, we've got, I've mentioned this before, but we've got five kiddos. And uh, what we like to do is we try, and I do my best, I don't always do this perfectly, but I do my best to spend individual time with each child, right? Take them out on a date, do something. And my 12-year-old daughter, uh, we get along really well as long as we're shopping together. Because how many of you know that preteen girls love shopping? And that's the way to their heart. And so the other day, we were at Target. She had a budget to work with. And I'm telling you what, it doesn't bother me having to be the guy that, you know, carries all the clothes into the fitting room and tells her, come on out, baby, show it to me, you know, and like all that stuff. And I'm like, I'm that dad. And I also embarrass her the entire time. Right. But how many of you know that the fitting rooms and maybe this might be a revelation to you, but fitting rooms in stores are designed to make you look better than you actually look. You know, have you ever, have you ever bought something and like under the perfect lights and that perfect thin looking mirror at Target or wherever you shop, you just look buffer and thinner and just better and like your jawline just gets, you know, real crisp. Then you go home and you put on the same outfit and you go, is, is this how it fit in the fitting room? Anybody ever experienced this before? Come on, or is it just me? Uh, I don't know if you know this, but fitting rooms are, uh, are lit a specific way. They're designed, literally people are paid to design these fitting rooms so that you are convinced that this outfit looks so great on you that you're willing to spend the $65.95 on a pair of pants that are going to wash out the moment you send them through the dryer. 
What does that have to do with anything I'm talking about today? Well, here's the thing. When it comes to the idea of valuing every person, you and I must first understand where this originates. And it originates with you and I being willing to take a cold, hard look at ourselves. And it originates with you and I being willing to not just look inward and face ourselves, but be honest about what we see when we take a cold, hard look at ourselves. You see, before we can value or aspire to value everyone, we must first be willing to answer the question, what do we see when we look inward? You see, Jesus doesn't confront the behavior, Jesus confronts the heart of the matter. Right? He's tested like, wait, but who, who's my neighbor? In other words, how do I get out of loving people that I don't really feel like loving? And Jesus challenges the heart of the matter by going, take a cold, hard look at yourself. How would you respond to this? So the idea is this, is it, whether you know it or not, you will live for something. You're going to live for something. And if you want to know what you live for, ask your bank account, ask your time, ask your values, ask the mission of your home, ask me how, who you hang out with, what you do when you hang out with them, and that is going to show you what or who you live for. Yeah. Yeah. And today I want to invite you into living for people. I want to invite you, just as God himself came on this earth and began a journey to not just pour himself out, but to teach us what it is to love one another and love others and how to live not for ourselves, but for other people. I'd like to submit to you today three different ways that we can begin to live for people while valuing everyone. And my first point today may seem a little bit like a contradiction, but just hang with me. My first point today in valuing everyone is we've got to learn how to value ourselves. Yeah. Wait, Tony, but you know, I've heard you preach before maybe, and also your, your kind of introduction made it very clear, like this is about other people, not about me. Well, let's look at the book of Luke chapter 10, 27 again. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Okay, so, so it starts with loving God from a holistic approach, with everything I've got. Yep, yep. But then there's a prerequisite, if you will, to loving our neighbors. And that is to love our neighbors as what? Yourself. Can I tell you, when it comes to loving ourselves, this isn't necessarily a selfish or wrong thing. The reality is that the world has taken something that is pure, something that is good and has made it a perverse thing that teaches you and I to live selfish, selfishly. And they call it self-love. The world has taken something that is pure, like loving who we are. And I'm going to get to how we get to that place in just a second. But they've twisted it and perverted it. And so we, we've made self-love gazing at how awesome we are. But I'd like to submit to you today that if you read the book of James chapter 1 verses 20 all the way to the end, I'd like to submit to you that loving ourselves is not so much gazing at how awesome we are as much as it is gazing at how awesome the law of liberty, as James says, is. In fact, if you're taking notes, I would highly encourage you to go read the entire book of James. Uh, it's a short, it's, it's a great place for you to start uh, if you're new to Bible reading. It's, it's, it's simple, it is, but it's like, I mean, it's going to convict you, it's going to challenge you, but it's going to lay things out very clearly. But here's kind of the, the premise of the book of James is that there's this gap between hearing about God and then actually living things out. And I'd like to submit to you today that that gap is the understanding of what it is to gaze at the law of liberty. Loving ourselves is not gazing at how awesome we are, but it is gazing at how awesome he is. So when it comes to loving ourselves, if you will, or valuing ourselves first, I want to talk to you about a couple of traps that you and I need to be aware of as it relates to ourselves. 
You know, if you're anything like me, you're going to tend to, the moment you're challenged, to take a cold, hard look. And much like James calls us to, look in the mirror. Like, I don't want to be like that man that sees his reflection and ignores what he sees, is essentially what James is teaching us. This is one of the traps we fall into, is this. When it comes to being challenged to look in ourselves, we tend to want to avoid ourselves. Much like Adam and Eve began to, in the garden, as they fell and as they disobeyed God, they began to hide from God. They didn't want to face God. They began to do what uh, we read in the Bible, and that is to sow fig leaves to cover themselves up. And this idea of sowing fig leaves is quite, quite the illustration if you look at it, because to this day, this is what you and I do. We try to take matters into our own hands and make something with our hands to cover ourselves up and hide from God while God is going, I see it all, I know it all, and in spite of that, I'm okay with seeing you bear before me. So I want to warn you to not avoid yourselves. The second thing that we can fall into is we allow life and people and experiences to be the only thing that defines us or that defines our identity. Psychology defines us as a culmination of our schemas and our experiences. Now, I'm not saying that that's wrong, but if we aren't careful when we, hear me, allow this to be the only thing that defines us, then we can fall into that trap. The third trap we can fall into when it comes to valuing ourselves is what I call adaptation. You ever done this before? You see what the world or people around you value, and they kinda, that's kind of what people seem to be into. And so I kind of just, even if it doesn't actually land well with who I truly am or who God says I am, I kind of just adapt to it and I just kind of go with it. Even if it's not truly who I'm called to be. And oftentimes, I don't know about you, but oftentimes adaptation actually leads me to self-loathing because it is not true to who I really am. Or I adapt according to positive or negative opinions of others about me. Right? And so if they think positively about me, I think higher of myself in that scenario. So I try to adapt and constantly be that. For me personally, for example, I, I don't know if you can tell, but I, I just naturally, I'm kind of an outspoken, kind of outgoing kind of guy, right? And, and so for me, it's like, I, I feel like I've got to like perform at times to like put on party Tony hat, if you will, right? Because like, this is what people expect from me, right? And even if that's not true to who I really am or who I'm called to be in that moment. So be careful to not adapt. And, and the, la- the last um, warning I want to give you, and it's probably one of the most dangerous ones, right? I've talked about avoiding. I've talked about adapting. And here's the third A for you is uh, we, we tend to just ac- accept ourselves just as we are. Well, this is the way I am. So take me as I am, world. Right, so I take on this attitude of like, I'm just short-fused. And that's my excuse to constantly sin in my anger. Well, no, I'm just anti-confrontational. And that's my excuse to instead of confront gossip behind the scenes. So when we talk about valuing ourselves, we've got to be willing to take a cold, hard look at ourselves. And this attitude of just simply accepting myself as I am creates an unapproachable, non-moldable person. But let me combat all of these traps that I warned you about with God's way. God's way says I'm willing to look at myself. Hear this, church. I'm willing to look at my depravity. I'm willing to look at my sin. Stare it right in the face. I'm willing to be like that person that looks in the mirror and whatever is found there, I'm willing to sit with it, submit it to God's authority, repent when I need to repent, be transformed when I need to be transformed, give it up when I need to give it up. Come on, I hope you're hearing what I'm saying here. The opposite of avoidance is I get real with a God that I can't hide from. 
I don't just add spiritual duties to fill my time. I don't just start going to every small group this church has to offer so that I don't have to just look at myself. I don't just start, you know, and, and I start painting my, my service to the church. Again, service to church is good. I preach on this all the time. Small groups are good for your soul. But when I begin to fill my life with all these spiritual activities so that I can essentially hide from the stillness and the quietness of staring my depravity with God, I'm telling you, I am selling my journey with God short. How many of you would, you would say, if you're honest, like you thought you'd be farther along now in life? Come on, would you be willing to raise your hand with me and go like, how many of y'all? Look, look around you real quick. Like, just keep your hands up. If you're saying, like you're going, and you can be honest, you go, I really, if I look at myself, I wish, okay, look around right now and just comfort yourself real quick. Just look around and just comfort yourself. Right? Like, this is what we do. We, we're hard on ourselves. We go, I should be farther along, so let me just mask it and fake it. Meanwhile, I'm looking around and all y'all raised your hands with me. Here's God's way. I find my identity in the truth of his word, in the comfort of his presence, and in the guidance of his spirit. So instead of becoming just a person that adapts to what people and culture say about me, I find my identity and I root myself in his word, in the comfort of his presence, and in the guidance of his spirit. And I want to warn you here, don't enslave the people that are closest to you by making them be the ones that have to tell you who you are. Charles Spurgeon would call you a man without a chest. Someone who puts it on those around them to tell them who they are is a man or a woman without a cavity, essentially. Someone who does not understand who they truly are. So please don't enslave yourself and don't enslave someone else into being that role. Now, of course, there are people that need to speak into your life. There's people that need to breathe life into you. There's people that need to call you up and call you out. Absolutely. But especially spouses, do, it is not your, husbands, it is not your wife's job, and, I, and I'm guilty of this, to affirm and call out who you are and hold that in the, on her shoulders and carry that for you. Right. Now, she can encourage you. Now, she can be your helpmate. Absolutely. That's what she's called to do. Now, she can create an environment for you to thrive in. Absolutely. And she can, and that's the beautiful thing about a woman. I'm telling you, like they, they take a seed and they nurture it and they bring it to life. And it's just, it's beautiful. Absolutely. But it ain't their job to carry your identity for you. And let me reverse it to the ladies as well. It is not your job, uh, your, your husband's job to carry your identity for you. Quit playing games, okay? Like if you, if you don't feel beautiful in that dress, don't make him try to tell you what you wanna hear. You know what I'm talking about? Like, do I, do I look fat in this dress? What do you think? Like, what? that's a trap, don't ask me that. I love you enough to tell you this. Do not enslave yourself or the people around you to carry a burden that is for you and the Lord to carry. I hope even in the midst of my comedic relief here, you're getting what I'm saying. Man, it's getting hot in here. I'm going to have to turn the temperature down for second service. All right, all right, all right, all right. Stay with me, stay with me. I'm still on my first point. Holy smokes. God's way says... I not just adapt, I don't not adapt and I, and I allow him, but also I love myself enough to submit myself to being grown and to be mentored. Let me just remind you of this before I move on to the second point today. God's value on your life was so great. I want you to, I want this reality to sink in. God looked upon you, place your name on there. And his value was so great that he was willing to give his only son, to pay the price for you to live. Like, I, I want that reality to sink. Some of you have an issue loving other people because you haven't accepted that your value is so high that Jesus would give up his life so that you might live. 
Valuing oneself, as I've mentioned in the book of James, teaches us to look at the law of liberty. The law of liberty that says, I love you so much. I value you so much that I'm willing to send my son to pay the ultimate price to buy out the debt that you are in. And when we begin to look in the mirror and we accept what's there, we begin to accept the grace of God. Let me say it to you this way. Sit with it until the grace of God washes over it. Be willing to sit with it until the grace of God washes over it. Number two. Oh my gosh, I am out of, okay. Number two, (laughs) valuing one another. If we're going to value everyone, begins with obviously our love for God. Valuing ourselves, now valuing one another. Look at what Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Some of us have read this and we've been encouraged by this, but we stop there. Now, I don't want to stop there. This is what the 10th verse says. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone especially those who are of the household of faith. Let me say it to you this way. Have you ever noticed that the people you're most comfortable with are the people you can treat the worst? Or is that just me? The people that are closest to me tend to be the people that I can treat the worst. Parents, how many of you know that when you send your kids off to grandma and grandpa's house, and they see grandma and grandpa once a month or every so often. The report from grandma and grandpa's, they were great. They were angels. They were amazing. They slept great. They did this. Yeah, because they see you once a month. Right? And then you go, why do they, why do, why do they misbehave in front of me? Because they're most comfortable with you. So let me actually just create a quick parenthesis and encourage parents. The reason why your kids act out most in front of you and behave for everyone else is actually telling you that they're comfortable enough to learn from you. You've created an environment where they feel like they can actually grow. Some of you young people have no idea that that's actually what's going on in your head right now, but let me tell you, it is. When you grow up, you'll understand. I mean it. But ever notice that People you're most comfortable with, you can treat the worst. And ah, if we're not careful, this bleeds into the church. I don't know about you, but last time I read when Jesus goes into Nazareth, his hometown, it says of a limitless, miraculous working God, it says of him that he was able to do no great miracles with the exception of a handful of healings because of the unbelief of the people in Nazareth. In other words, this is just a kid that grew up around here. Like that's just, wasn't Joseph his dad? Oh, you mean the guy that builds our tables and our chairs, the carpenter? (laughs) Who's this guy? And Jesus then himself goes, a prophet in his own town has no honor. Paul is teaching us here that if we're going to value everyone, if we're going to, as we have opportunity, as Galatians 6, 9 says, let us do good to everyone, he's calling us out, especially to those in the household of faith. We must value one another, church. I'm talking to you, church family. I'm not talking yet. I haven't included those that are going to be, continue to be brought in. I'm talking to you. You call Legacy Church your home. Value one another. Value what each one of us brings to the table. Begin to live a life that seeks to understand before seeking to be understood. Choose relationship over being right. Oh my gosh, some of you got to hear this and get it in your spirit. I would rather have relationship than be right. Let's begin to honor biblical church governance and the model of hierarchy that the Bible gives us. I'm not tuning my own horn. But let's begin to bring honor to those that hold the office of an elder in this house. Begin to bring honor to those who are on the pastoral team in this house. You bring honor to those who are your small group leaders, who lead a team, who pour out of their deep well into you freely. 
We honor one another. We value one another. And let me just say one quick thing here real quick as when it comes to, to pastors. I will never be okay if our church begins, and, and it hasn't happened yet, but I just want to set the boundary now. If you don't like what one pastor says to you, you don't get to play um, the game that you and I used to when we didn't like what mommy said, and so then we'd go to daddy and try to change his mind. That, that doesn't happen around here. That's right. You don't like what Paula says? You don't get to come to me and try to change my mind about what Paula says. I knew I wasn't going to get a ton of amens from that. I'm just letting you know. This means valuing each other enough to learn how to speak the truth in love with one another. You know where I've been personally challenged in this season more than ever when it comes to valuing one another is I've asked myself, what do my conversations look like? Are they edifying? Are they building people up? Are they cheering people up? Are they stirring people to love one another? I've been challenged even more in an even deeper way, and I want you to keep track here with me. Please do not get distracted when I say this. I've had to ask myself, what does it look like for me to let my hair down. And what, and, and is it okay that when I let my hair down, things that don't honor God naturally come out? Because here's what we do sometimes. Well, these are my safe people. I can let my hair down. Why is it that that's what it looks like to let your hair down? What is in me that says, well, I'm just, I'm just being free. I'm just like, wait, wait, what's in me that causes that to be what it looks like? And if I'm going to value those around me, I've got to ensure that my conversations are of edification, not of tearing down, are of building up, not tearing down, are of cheering up, not making you feel bad, Uh, uh, bringing hope, stirring one another unto good works as the Bible instructs us. And this isn't just important for the sake of caring for one another in a community, but it's also important because it's the greatest message that those outside of our community are going to be attracted to. How they see that we treat one another is going to speak highly to them that are not outside of this community. In other words, in other words, I want to be known for what we stand for more than what we stand against. Which leads me to my third and my favorite value, and I'm going to try my best to preach it in a decent amount of time, but I'm telling you guys, there, there's, some, there's some good stuff. So if you haven't been listening up into this moment, now's the time to listen. <laughs> Value others. Valuing others. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. So likewise, the Levite, by the way, Levite is the assistant to the preach, when he, to, the, to the priest. Uh, when he came to the place and saw him, he then also passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Skip to verse 37. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. I want to say it to you this way. This third and final point is where the rubber meets the road. Many of us, we may not be perfect at point one or point two, valuing ourselves, valuing one another, but there's always going to be some sort of natural draw to living and walking those two points out. What's going to truly challenge us is this one right here. Yet it's probably the most rewarding invitation of them all. To value others, those that don't look like us, those that don't come from the same place that we do, those, hear me church, that don't have the same moral standards that you may have, those that don't think the same way you do. I've joked about this before, but I'm going to say it seriously. Those that don't vote like you, those who don't raise their kids the same way that you and I do. And no, I'm not just saying this because I'm a person of color that's brown, but I'm telling you, those that don't have the same skin color as you. 
And no, I'm not just saying this because I have a, 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 a seven-year-old son who's on the autism spectrum. Those who have special needs, those who have specific disabilities in their bodies or delays in their way their mind processes things. Those that, oh man, and I hope, you know what? No. I just hope you receive this. Those who are questioning what their sexuality is. Those who are struggling through this thing of like, I feel like this is how I was made and I don't know what to do about it. Those men and women who struggle with lust on a daily basis and are addicted to the rush that it brings to give in to sexual temptation. I'm getting, this is why the rubber meets the road. Because it's all the stuff that the church doesn't either want to talk about or just wants to shove away. And here's my fear. We become like the people of old before Jesus showed up where we create ghettos for those kind of people. The untouchable live there. If you have leprosy, you live in that community. You're a Samaritan woman who has five men and none of them are your husband. You live in that community and you draw from that well, not from this well. But the heart of God is to show mercy to all those who seemingly our culture throws out. It breaks my heart when we read a parable like this and we judge the priest and the Levite while we walk this out daily like the priest and the Levite did. Walking down the road and seeing a need, but because they don't look like us, because we don't accept them, because they're not the same ethnicity as us, because they're not on the same life journey as us, I turn the other way and I go the other direction and I wait for someone else to do it. And I'm going to get theological and passionate with you. God forbid we go back to the days before Martin Luther had to separate from the Catholic Church. And it's no harp on the Catholic Church. But here's what needed to take place. Was the people needed to be empowered to be the hands and feet of Jesus. This is what he fought for. Was that no, the church doesn't get to control and the priest doesn't get to be the only and the saints don't get to, no, it's all of us. I don't get to pawn this off onto somebody else. Jesus himself shows us by his own example in the book of John chapter four as he sits with the woman at the well who's a Samaritan. How dare you, Jesus? They're the wrong ethnicity, Jesus. She's the wrong sex, Jesus. She's the wrong gender, Jesus. It's the wrong time of day, Jesus. His disciples, we're out to McDonald's. We're getting lunch. What you doing, Jesus? And he goes, I am breaking through every stereotype, every, every boundary that this culture has created to show this woman who I am. And church, we're not called to simply just admire this. We're called to live this. As of a year ago, the Treasure Valley has grown to almost 800,000 people according to the Community Planning Association of Southwest Idaho. 800,000 people. This was in the end of 2020, so almost two years ago now. Furthermore, between Ada and Canyon County, thank you, the number of those, hear me, The number of those who claim they have no religious affiliation has now risen to over 30%. So just rough numbers. I'm not great at math. That's why I went to Bible college. (laughs) Barely finished. My wife got pregnant. Ring by spring. Baby by, I don't know. I didn't have anything cute to say on that one. So rough numbers, there's at least 240,000 people that for sure do not follow Christ in this valley. 
Out of the remaining 70-ish percent, only 12-ish percent claim to be of the Christian faith. I don't say this to bring doom and gloom. I don't say this to go, do you see how the values of the valley are getting away from us and the moral standard is... No, church, I say this because do you see what I see? I see the opportunity for those who have never experienced the love of Jesus. I see an opportunity for a church to rise and to go one person at a time. Next service, we're going to have five people getting baptized. One person at a time. We have the opportunity to value others in such a way that their lives are never the same by showing mercy to those in need. I'm so proud of our church. Just on Sunday, I got a text from somebody who said, hey, in case, in case you're wondering whether or not people are listening to your sermons, I walked out and my neighbor who also goes to, this is the person texting me, my neighbor who also goes to the church is out there shoveling people's driveways. And I asked her, what are you doing? She goes, well, I'm being generous with what I've got. That's good. Yeah. Got a, an email last week said something along the lines of, Pastor, you're never going to believe what I did. I, I stepped out and I, and I got a little fire pit and I invited people to my backyard from my neighborhood and I did the thing that you said to do. Hey, I know this is awkward. I know we've never met before. And he goes, and I had five people come and I was able to just show them just who I was. And it was scary and it was awkward and it was weird, but I did it. Just a couple Sundays ago, I had somebody tell me, yeah, you know, we just got back from a, a snow trip and my husband, who I've been praying for for 14 years to give his life to Jesus, he got hurt, but he, he said he's watching online at home right now. Some of this, some of you, I hope this doesn't offend you. And if you struggle with what I'm about to talk about, I hope you know that we want to be wise about how to walk you through this. There's a handful of guys that, that don't struggle with this, and they were at a, they were at a brewery in Nampa, and the bartender there has been getting invited by a ton of legacy church people for like the last five visits there. So like there's this group of guys and they're all having fun and like it's clean fun. It's not like gross, disgusting stuff. And the guy walks up and he's like, what's up with you guys? And then they're like, well, you know, they start just sharing about Jesus and they're like, wait, what church? And he, you guys are like the fifth people to invite me to church. That guy has, you, you've probably seen him. He, he's, he's come the last three weekends. He's not here today or maybe he might come to second service. Here, here's my heart, church, plain and simple. We want to do whatever it takes, short of sinning, to show value and love and to reach the unreachable. And the beauty of it, holy smokes, man. The beauty of it is that it's not complicated. In fact, it's, it's a very simple thing. We complicate a very simple thing. And I get it, y'all. Like, it's good. Hear me. If you're, if you're one of those that is studious and loves to dig into the word and understand all of the Hebrew and, the, and all, I, yes. But there's something to be said about us being able to pour out what's been freely given to us and freely give to others. Whether it's wisdom, whether it's knowledge, whether it's understanding, whether it's acts of service, whether it's opening up our home. I'm telling you, people's lives will be changed. Wow, I, I'm, I'm like really struggling through this real quick. <laughs> acts 15, 19. You see a bunch of people just making the gospel complicated. It's called the Jerusalem Council, and they're arguing, well, should we, should they, should we, blah, 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 bingo, bingo, bongo. And James, Jesus' brother, finally goes, 
You guys are arguing about what we should, shouldn't allow. Should they eat this? Should they drink that? Should they talk to this? And he goes, listen, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. That simple. I want to say, Legacy Church, in in my judgment, I, I, I don't think we should make it difficult for those Gentiles were outsiders, by the way. I don't want to make it difficult for them to turn to God. You know this. The gospel in itself is offensive enough. It starts with, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. That's offensive enough. Also, if you don't believe that, I'd encourage you to really dig into that. Because that's really where the gospel begins. With a lot of bad news that's coupled with really good news. We will not allow anything to make it more difficult for everyone whose lives are being transformed by Jesus. This includes all of the outcasts, all those that are struggling with their hurts, with their hangups, their habits, that are addicted to things, that are struggling through things that don't look polished, that don't act polished, don't look polished. Let me read to you. It's not on the screen, but this is my life verse right here for you. Are you ready for this? This is, this is your pastor's heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more for them. Yes. To the Jews, I become a Jew in order to win the Jews. Yes. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by any means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings." So whose life can you change with a simple invitation? This Friday, we're hosting a daddy-daughter dance for the community. And we need your help. We need your help setting up on Thursday. We need your help on Friday to be here and help us run it. And then we need your help on Saturday to reset it so that all y'all can experience an amazing Sunday again in these comfortable seats. So I want to encourage you today. In fact, if I had the time, I'd tell you to pull out your phone right now and say, all of you at this moment, go to our website and just sign up as to where you're going to, where you're going to volunteer. And help us not put on an event, but offer an opportunity for people to experience a safe place, a place where they're not judged, a place where, where they can experience a clean environment. I'll tell you what, at the trunk or treat that we put on this last year, I had three different people that were adults come up and say, we may not have kids, but can we be here from the community? Can we be here? Because we're just looking for a place to stay sober tonight. Coming very soon, our Easter weekend. I know we make a big deal about services. This year, we're making a bigger focus on the outreach that we're doing, which is why we're taking over Story Park on the 8th. That's a Saturday. And we're going to have 10,000 eggs. We need help filling those eggs. We have, we're going to do a flow of different egg hunts like for different age groups. And then we'll even have a specific section for those kids that are disabled or special needs. We're going to have bounce houses. We're going to have music. We're going to have food. But most importantly, these people are going to experience the free gift of you and I loving them for who they are. So just straight up practical steps for you. Like you don't have to complicate it. This is why our church does what we do to provide you with an opportunity to just go ahead. I want to warn you, let's not go back to pre-reformation where you look at me and you go, well, that's the priest's job. 
No, it's, it's not my job, it's your ministry. Yes. That's right. Now, of course, as the visionary of this house, I've got dreams. And let me tell you about a couple of those dreams. I dream of not just two full services, I dream of three services. And once we cap out at three services, I dream of planning our first campus. Likely, I'm just going to tell you right now, likely in Caldwell-Nampa area. Part of what we're going to present about the building project to you guys has to do with these dreams and this vision. We're not going to limit God. I just don't see myself as a mega church leader. So I see myself, my sweet spot being three services of 300-ish people where we still feel like a family, but we don't limit God in the numbers. And so then from there, why, why just, you know, like the sermon I preached last week, why just build a bigger storehouse for more people when I can just expand our reach to other places? Maybe to some of you, 300 is a little too small. Well, multiply by three, that's about 1,200. We can have a campus of 1,200. Yes. And then we can go plan another campus. Yes. I dream of sending out church planters, yes. of missionaries out to the field. Yes. But church, if we don't do it for our neighbors, how will we go to the nations? Romans 10, 14 to 15. I did not realized I was going to be this blurry on, on these notes. But how can they call him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And then, Christian, you guys can come up. I don't have a fancy, perfect bow tie way to end today's sermon. I really don't. I asked, I asked the team to sing this song. And for those of you that grew up in church, hopefully you like it because I love me some Keith Green. And there's a part in the song that they're about to sing that talks about, I want to take your word and shine it all around. He says, but first, help me just to live it, Lord. I want to end today encouraging you that, that be your prayer today. Yes. God, I want, to, I want to know what it's like to, to value myself, to value one another and value others. And I want to take your word and shine it everywhere I go. But first, God, help me to live it. So I want to encourage you right now as, as they begin to sing this Take whatever posture you need to sit with God and be willing to do what James 1 instructs us to do, and that is to take a cold, hard look at ourselves. Thank you once again for joining us today. We hope today's message encouraged you, challenged you, and caused your faith to grow. If you enjoyed today's message, we highly encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. That way you don't miss out on any future messages. To get to know us, to get connected with us, and to know how you can best partner with us, head to our website, LegacyChurchID.com, or come see us in person at our campus in Meridian, Idaho. We look forward to connecting with you. May God bless you and have a great rest of your day.